Hugh Carson. And I'm Peter Klein. And this is We Had No Idea. We're back. It's been a minute since we've both done uh, a live episode. Well, live. This is all taped, but you know what I mean. <laughs> We're finally alive. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's been at least one singular minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, about that. <laughs> uh, well, I think that we should get started with our, our new little piece. And honestly, this feels like a great episode to be starting this new intro of ours. Yeah. Uh, so as... Always, we come to you from Mokinsis, and we acknowledge that we get the privilege of living and producing this show on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Tsutsina Nations, the Iahe Nakoda Nations, the Métis Nation Region 3, and all people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 region of southern Alberta. You can find out what native lands you're on by looking at native-land.ca. And in the spirit of reconciliation... Uh, we are going to read out one of the 94 uh, calls to action uh, in the Truth and Reconciliation document, um, or the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada, the calls to action. Because uh, we think that they're important to know. We think that they're very reasonable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and perhaps if people just knew what they were, they could get done. Yeah. Uh, so the first one is um, about legacy. Uh, it is about child welfare. Uh, The first one goes, we call upon the federal, provincial, territorial, and Aboriginal governments to commit to reducing the number of Aboriginal children in care by one, monitoring and assessing uh, neglect investigations, two, by providing adequate resources to enable Aboriginal communities and child welfare organizations to keep Aboriginal families together where it is safe to do so, and to keep children in culturally appropriate environments regardless of where they reside. The third way they'll do this is by ensuring that social workers and others who conduct child welfare investigations are properly educated and trained about the history and impacts of residential schools. Four, ensuring that social workers and others who conduct child welfare investigations are properly educated and trained about the potential for Aboriginal communities and families to provide more appropriate solutions to family healing. And finally, their um, their call will hopefully require that all child welfare decision makers consider the impact of the residential school experience on children and their caregivers. All very reasonable stuff. Yes, very much so. And really five great ways to reduce the number of Aboriginal children in care and in foster care in particular is what this is getting at. Yeah. Um, all five of those things are great solutions to meet that goal, mm-hmm. which is one thing I don't know about you, but when I look at political platforms, there's a lot of times where they're like, we're going to reduce this bad thing. And yeah. then they give no, uh, no hints or clues as to how they're going to do it. Yeah. We're going to do it by 2050 and in 2048, we'll do something about it. Exactly. So, um, that is the first call to action in the, uh, truth and reconciliation commission of Canada calls to action document. All right. And uh, if you want to look up the other 93, you certainly can. But we will be reading you one an episode. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm happy that we've we've started uh, doing that. So Me we're going to, like you said, do one one per episode here. And like I said, too, this is a very good episode to start that on. Absolutely. Yes. Um, our, our sources for the show today, by the way, uh, history.com, The Guardian, Twitter, uh, <laughs> 
dbpedia.org and at fight underscore four underscore a underscore future on Instagram. <laughs> okay, great, 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 great. So today's subject is Queen Elizabeth. Um, and to let you know... Let you know how long it's been since we've done one of these. We were planning on doing this like the week after she died. So um, it's 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 been a minute. I just looked back. We haven't done um, we haven't taped one of these since November. Sorry, Lizzie. Yeah. Sorry, listeners. So yes, we are going to cover the good and the very bad of the Queen Elizabeth uh, reign. I guess life reign. Um, So thank you if you are listening to this. We appreciate you forgetting to hit unsubscribe to our podcast um, and for downloading the episode. Tell your friends because we are planning on doing this semi regularly again now. Like this isn't make promises we can't keep. (laughs) Yeah, that this is (laughs) that this is hopefully the the start of this continuing uh, again for uh, a long time so yes tell your friends that we are back um rate review subscribe wherever you can and uh unless you have something else to say i think it's time for us to get going just another generic thank you thanks for sticking around thanks for helping us live this dream as fleeting as it might be yeah so um queen elizabeth wasn't always queen elizabeth that would be born, weird did you imagine her first name was queen <laughs> born queen <laughs> Destined yeah for she's actually worked at a coffee shop her whole life <laughs> When Elizabeth Alexandra Mary, the elder daughter of Prince Albert, Duke of York, and his wife, Lady Elizabeth Boys Lyon, or Leon, or whatever, was born on April 21st, 1926, she apparently had little chance of assuming the throne, as her father was a younger son of King George V. But, uh, that's the fifth. But in late 1936, her uncle, King Edward the, I believe that is eighth, I think there's three lines there. Um, King Eddie, not the popular, uh, musical venue in Calgary, Mm. advocated to marry an American. (gasps) Escandalo. Escandalo. The gall, the gumption. Wallace Simpson. As a result, her father became King George VI and 10-year-old Lilibet as she was known within her family, became the heir presumptive to the throne. Mm. Educated by private tutors with an emphasis on British history and law, Lil Lizzie also studied music and learned to speak fluent French. She trained as a girl guide. Trained as a girl guide. Mm-hmm. Trained. <laughs> and developed a lifelong passion for horses, which means the queen was a horse girl. <laughs> I was shocked by this when I read that. Like the corgis, I was totally on board with, but the horses? Is there a more rich white British thing though than having horses? Like I never knew Colonialism. this. I know. Ne- well, yeah. Uh, I never knew this. I just assumed it. Right, that she had horses. Also, sorry if my really meaty knuckle crack was just in there. <laughs> I'm not gonna edit it out. Yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, I totally guess. The horses make sense. They're the monarchy. They're rich. Like, who's going to have a horse besides a, a princess or a right. queen? Right. It just, like, I mean, I a lot was of like, people, but yeah. No, literally only royalty. <laughs> but, you know, I just, I thought the corgis were, like, her thing. And, you know, she saved the horses for somebody else. But anyways, Elizabeth was a horse girl. Yep. 
Uh, as queen, she kept many thoroughbred racehorses and frequently attended racing <laughs> and breeding events, oh, which ew. sounds weird. Elizabeth's famous attachment to Pembroke Welsh corgis also began yeah, in childhood, are. and she owned more than 30 corgis over the course of her reign. <laughs> That's the sound of a corgi. Oh, okay. The sisters, Elizabeth and Margaret, who apparently were close and stayed close for much of their lives, even having a direct phone line from Buckingham between them, spent much of World War II living apart from their parents in the Royal Lodge at Windsor Castle, a medieval fortress outside of London in 1942. The king made Elizabeth an honorary colonel in the 500 Grenadier Guards, a Royal Army Regiment. Two years later, he named her as a member of the Privy Council and the Council of State, enabling her to act on his behalf when he was out of the country. Do you think you and I will ever be named to anything that's considered a council? Uh, you know what? I was on my student council. Oh, I actually was too. In high school. I actually was too. That's a fair point. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Check it off the bingo. I'll yeah. be done. <laughs> Suck it, royalty. In... <laughs> In 47, soon after the royal family returned from an official visit to South Africa and Rhodesia, like probably to take some precious jewels and treasure, they announced Elizabeth's engagement to Prince Philip of Greece, her third cousin. Both were great-great-grandchildren of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert, so it was totally chill, and a lieutenant in the Royal Navy. He had apparent... Oh, she had apparently set her sights on him when she was only 13, and their relationship developed through visits and correspondence during the war. Ew, yikes. How old was he? When she was 13? So he was born in 1921. Oh, that's only five years older. Yeah. She was born in 26. Oh, sorry. I clicked on... For some reason, I have our Alcatraz episode up too. It's like 1775. What? 1775. Um, yeah, 26. So it's only a five-year difference. Yeah, okay. That's that's pretty true. Yeah, I mean, she was 13. He was eight. So that's... Not a super oh, normal yeah, thing to have happen, look, yeah. but um, it's okay when you're in your in your like twenty when you're both in your twenties and there's that age gap. Yeah, but when it's like teenager to child, yeah, that's pretty fucked up. Yeah, it's a little weird. Though many in the royal circle viewed Philip as an unwise match due to his lack of money and German lineage. How dare he? Uh, the the um, what's like a sausage? The kielbasa of it all. <laughs> <laughs> Is kielbasa German? No, I don't think so. The Wiener Schnitzel of it there all. There you go. <laughs> the Schnitzel of it all. Uh, so, due to his lack of money in German lineage, Elizabeth was determined. Well, it's Polish, so. Very much in love. It's adjacent. Yeah, I mean, they tried. She, oh my God. She <laughs> and Philip wed on November 20th, 1947, at Westminster Abbey. Their first son, Charles, Prince of Wales. Hold up. What? Wait a minute. So she was 21. He was 16. In 47? No. Yeah. No. 21. And he was born in 21. Oh, he was born in 21. So he was... Oh, yeah, I had yeah. them... I, oh, I math wrong. Oh, fuck. I agreed with your wrong math. Yeah. He wasn't eight. No. She was 13 when they he first was set 18. eyes. And he was 18, which doesn't necessarily make it any better. Nope. Might make it worse, actually. Might make it worse, actually. Um, but anyways, yeah, in 47, they wed. So Okay, so she, she, was, she was still 21. She was still, she was 21. He was 25. He was 20, okay. 25, 26. 25, 25, yeah. yeah. Checks out. <sighs> All right. Well, I'm so glad that we had yeah. this talk. I look forward to many people Please. pausing the episode at the first math issue and sending us a text being like, um. Yeah. 
Why are you guys so fucking stupid? Right. <laughs> anyway. I don't know. I started a podcast about it. Why are you so mean? Yeah. Uh, their first son, Charles, Prince of Wales, Wales was born in 1948. A Wales. daughter and <laughs> uh, Princess Royal came along two years later. What a boring name. One gets Prince of Wales. Yeah. And you're Princess Royal. Whatever. It's not going to fucking matter. Yeah. Move on. <laughs> it's not going to fucking matter. In June of 1948, British authorities declared a state of emergency, triggering what would end up being called the Malaysian Emergency. Mm, this Malaysian. is the part... Malayan, sorry. This is the part where we get into the shitty stuff. Yeah. Uh, a war and scorched earth terror campaign in which British military set fire to homes and farmland belonging to those suspected of having ties to the Malayan National Liberation Army. They relocated 400,000 to 1 million, which is a large gap. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty big uh, question mark. People into concentration camps called New Villages and sprayed crops with Agent Orange to starve insurgents. The MNLA was seeking independence from Britain after they had been created and trained by Brits in World War II to fight Japanese people. So, super not good. Yeah, really not good. Yeah. Really not great. Yeah. With her father's health declining in 1951, Elizabeth stepped in for him at various state functions. After spending that Christmas with the royal family, Elizabeth and Philip left on a tour of Australia and New Zealand, making a stopover in Kenya en route. For more jewels and treasures. <laughs> they were in Kenya in February of 52 when King George VI succumbed to lung cancer at the age of 56, and his 25-year-old daughter became the sixth woman in history to ascend to the British throne. Her formal coronation as Queen Elizabeth II took place on June 2nd, 1953 in Westminster Abbey. Months after Elizabeth II became queen, British colonial authorities in Kenya suppressed a rebellion against the colonial regime known as Mau Mau, which, according to the New York Times, quote, led to the establishment of a vast system of detention camps and the torture, rape, castration and killing of tens of thousands of people, end quote. The British government eventually paid 20 million pounds in a lawsuit by Kenyan survivors. Today, they are seeking an additional 200 billion in reparations. Court so the hits start coming and they don't stop coming. Yeah. Uh, Cornell professor Mukamawa Ngugi, I hope I said that close to right. Uh, tweeted, if the queen had apologized for slavery, colonialism, and neocolonialism, and urged the crown to offer reparations for the millions of lives taken in her, their names, then perhaps I would do the human thing and feel bad. This was after she passed away. As a Kenyan, I feel nothing. The theater is absurd. In the first decade of her reign, Elizabeth settled into her role as queen, developing a close bond with Prime Minister Winston Churchill, the first of 13 prime ministers she would work with during her reign. Weathering a foreign affairs disaster in the Suez Crisis of 1956 and making numerous state trips abroad. In response to pointed criticism in the press, the queen embraced steps to mod modernize. Ooh, that looked like modemize. <laughs> Like, every, everybody gets a modem. Yeah. Uh, steps In 1957. <laughs> yeah. Here's a fucking Apple computer. <laughs> <laughs> Modernize her own image and that of the monarchy, including televising her annual Christmas broadcast for the first time in 1957. In 61, the Malayan emergency came to an end. And by that time, 6,700 fighters and 3,000 civilians had lost their lives. I, I thought it was important to include that because it did start... 
before she took over. But I I thought it was poignant that it continued throughout the first, like, long stretch of her reign. Absolutely. Elizabeth and Philip had two more children, Andrew, born 1960, and Edward, born 1964. But he's got the skin of a killer. Yeah? A Twilight reference? Nope. Edward? The vampire? Never seen it. Oh, I never heard of it. (laughs) Yeah. Never heard of her. In 1968, Charles was formally invested as the Prince of Wales, marking his coming of age and the beginning of what would be a long period as a king in waiting. In 1962, I get all the bad ones. In 1962, after the death of Yemen's King Ahmad, uh, Arab army nationalists with popular support and backing from Nasir's Egyptian army seized power and declared a republic. Royalists launched a counterattack to take back power with support from Saudi Arabia, Israel, Jordan, and Britain. Though Britain publicly maintained a police of non or a policy of non-intervention in Yemen, it was in fact secretly supplying fighter jets to carry out airstrikes on the country, as well as millions of pounds in weapons to royalist forces. Airwork services and private British defense company even signed a $26 million contract to provide personal train uh, personal training to Saudi pilots. $26 million in 1962? How much money is that now? Oh. Um, An absolute boatload yeah. is the answer. British officials acknowledged the royalists they backed had little chance of winning. The strategy, as then Prime Minister Harold Macmillan told U.S. President John Kennedy, was to ensure that, quote, new Yemen, or sorry, the new Yemen regime were occupied with their own internal affairs during the next few years, end quote. And that the end goal was, new quote, a weak government in Yemen not able to make trouble, end quote. Uh, just quickly. Yes. Um, $26 million in 1962 is equivalent to the purchasing power of about $255 million today. Ay ay ay. Yeah. Which says a lot about a number of things. Absolutely. (laughs) So the Royalists do lose the war to the Republic in 1969. By that time, an estimated 200,000 people had been killed. In 1965, British spies launched a propaganda campaign inciting violence against the Indonesia Communist Party, or PKI, Uh, than the third largest communist party in the world. From Singapore, the British propagandists created newsletters that they claimed were written by Indonesian people encouraging those within the country, including army generals, to, quote, cut out the, quote, communist cancer and eliminate the PKI. The PKI, they said, quote, is now a wounded snake, and now is the time to kill it before it has a chance to recover. So once again, everyone's favorite drug, propaganda the offensive included one hell of a drug yeah um just uh you know everyone's favorite too yeah the offensive included a radio station run by malaysians broadcasting anti-communist propaganda into indonesia this campaign was launched uh, launched by britain to undermine pki supported indonesian president sukamo no that's an r and an n again what is wrong with our font? <laughs> Sukarno, who opposed <laughs> what the... What font in- is this? Uh, what Too font is it? Too close together font. That's A- what it is. Ariel. Um, Sukarno, who opposed the administration's plans to combine its former colonies into a Malayan federation, a plan he saw as the empire trying to preserve its colonial control in the region. 
In October of 65, an attempted coup within the army carried out by left-wing forces, believing that some within the ranks were planning a coup against Sukarno. Sukarno, we decided. Yep. Was the catalyst for a general of his to seize power, crush the rebellion, and massacre all he suspected of having ties to the PKI. During the period, the British spies sent out special issue newsletters likening the PKI to Hitler and urged those to continue their violent campaigns, even stating, quote, communism must be abolished in all its forms. The work started by the army must be carried on and intensified, end quote. Just not minding their own fucking business. No, no. Uh, this is, I mean, again, it's been a bit since we've talked about this, but this is another one of those cases where it's uh, giving a fuck or it ain't your turn to give a fuck. Yep. The violence ended in March 1966 when Sukarno abdicated power to his general. By that time, an estimated 500,000 to 1 million people, another large gap, mm-hmm. had been killed, making one of the worst massacres in the 20th century. In early 1972, during a march in Derry, Northern Ireland, Derry? Derry? Derry. That's Derry. Okay. British military opened fire on a crowd of protesters, shooting 26. 14 died from their injuries. The Northern Ireland Civil Rights Association had organized the march in response to legislation passed by the British government in August 1971, which allowed authorities to imprison suspected Irish nationalists without trial. Catholic communities in Northern Ireland were already subject to discrimination by the majority Protestant government. Bloody Sunday is one of the key events during, quote, the Troubles, a 30-year national liberation struggle, uh, liberation struggle waged by the Irish Republican Army against British paramilitary militaries and the british army for independence queen elizabeth's silver jubilee in 1977 marking her 25 years on the throne proved a bright spot in an era of economic struggles sorry i just want to say you can really tell where different sources stop and when they start yeah (laughs) it was a bright spot for her and shit for literally everybody else yeah bloody sunday happened marking a 30-year trouble (laughs) but the Silver Jubilee. The Silver Jubilee. Uh, she traveled 56,000 miles around the Commonwealth, a.k.a. colonized countries, including the island nations of Fiji and Tonga, New Zealand, Australia, Papua New Guinea, the British West Indies, and Canada to celebrate. Do you think she took a private plane or did she fly economy? Oh, geez. Could you imagine? Economy. Yeah. She at least did business class. <laughs> And, like, pretended to be on the phone the whole time and was like, bye, bye, sell, sell. Yeah. That's what people in business class do to me. Totally, yeah. <laughs> they were absolutely on their cell phone in 1977. Their plane phone, uh, then. <laughs> don't shit on my dreams, babe. Sorry. Yeah, we don't even have the technology to be on our cell phones now. In 1957, everyone got a modem. And in 1977, <laughs> yeah. we all had plane phones. <laughs> In 1981, all eyes were on the royal family once again, as Prince Charles wed Lady Diana Spencer of Saint, or at St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Though the couple soon welcomed two sons, William and Harry, their marriage quickly imploded, causing considerable public embarrassment for the Queen and the entire royal family. Yeah. Again, you can tell this is from a different source than, yeah, they killed around a million people, but a marriage. <laughs> In 1992, both Charles and Diana and Prince Andrew and his wife, Sarah Ferguson, separated, while Princess Anne and her husband, Mark Phillips, divorced. Which, I'm, that's a very, when I read through the notes, I was like, that's a very interesting distinction. 
that two of the couples separated. Yeah, and, and one, one of them divorced. divorced. Yeah. A fire also broke out at Windsor Castle the same year, and amid public outcry over the use of government funds to restore the royal residence, Queen Elizabeth agreed to pay taxes on her private income. That's nice of her to do. Very generous. <laughs> this was not required by British law, though some earlier monarchs had done so as well. At the time, her personal fortune was estimated at $11.7 billion U.S. dollars. I don't know why that's not in pounds. <laughs> In another modernizing measure, she also agreed to open the state rooms at Buckingham Palace for the public for an admission fee when she was not in the residence. Again, very gracious of her. Yes. Her personal fortune that she worked very hard for. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I'm, I'm actually not saying that she didn't work hard. Like, to be on all the time like that, it is. She's like basically the first influencer. Right. And we know that influencers work hard. We get mm -hmm. that. I'm just thinking 11.7 billion personal wealth. Yeah, you can probably, like, probably pay some taxes on that. Fucking tour my free house for a fee. <laughs> yeah. My house that I'm entitled to because I'm entitled. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Anyways. After Prince Charles. Sorry, Char Rip. I shouldn't speak ill of the dead. That's what a lot of this episode is. Um... <laughs> no, a lot of this episode is the truth of right. what happened. <laughs> yes. After Charles and Diana divorced in 1996, Diana remained incredibly popular with the British and international public. Her tragic death the following year triggered a tremendous outpouring of shock and grief, as well as outrage at the royal family for what the public saw as its ill treatment of the people's princess. Though Queen Elizabeth initially kept the family, including Prince William and Harry, out of the public eye at Balmoral. Balmoral? Balmoral. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Balmoral. Balmoral. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The unprecedented public response to Diana's death convinced her to return to London, make a televised speech about Diana, greet mourners, and allow the Union Jack to fly at half-mast above Buckingham Palace. The Queen's popularity and that of the entire royal family rebounded during the first decade of the 21st century. Through, though 2002 marked Queen Elizabeth's golden jubilee, mm. 50 years on the throne, the death of her mother, the beloved Queen Mum, and sister earlier that year uh, cast a pall on the celebrations. That one, I remember the, the Queen Mum um, passed away mm. in like the early afternoon. And by that evening, every TV station had like, hey, here's an hour long documentary on this person. I was oh, like, wow. that is um, what you call an obit file in, yeah. <laughs> in yeah, media absolutely rooms. Absolutely, it is. Yeah. In 2005, the Queen enjoyed public support when she gave her assent to Prince Charles's once unthinkable marriage to his longtime love, Camilla Parker Bowles. It can't be Bowles. I think it's Bowles. Bowles. Yeah. In her seventh decade on the throne, Yowza, Queen Elizabeth presided over the pomp and circumstance of another royal wedding at Westminster Abbey, that of Prince William to Catherine Middleton in April 2011. The Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, who are in line to become Britain's next king and queen after Charles, continue the line of succession with their children, Prince George, born 2013, and Princess Charlotte, born 2015, and then Prince Louis, born 2018. 
A consistent presence by his wife's side and one of Britain's busiest royals for much of her reign, Prince Philip stepped down from his royal duties in 2017 at the age of 96. That same year, the royal couple celebrated 70 years of marriage, making theirs the longest union in the history of the British monarchy. In May of 2018, Prince Harry wed American actress Meghan Merkel, um, taking her away from the critically acclaimed show Suits, um, whose embrace by the royal family indicated, <laughs> boy, this yeah. is also one that, um, that copy and pasted. I, I threw in a note after it. Yeah, um, I, I'm reading here. This is one of those ones, I think maybe from The Guardian. I don't know. Um, who's embraced by the royal family indicated just how modern it had become during Elizabeth's long reign. <laughs> Which wasn't much. Uh, the couple had a son. Arch- Archie. Yeah, no, I, I, I saw the second name and oh. stumbled on the first one. Archie Mountbatten Windsor. Yeah, yeah. yeah in 2019, and a daughter, Lilibet Diana Mountbatten-Windsor, in 2021. Rumors swirled at various times that Queen Elizabeth would step aside and let Prince Charles take the throne. In 2017, she delegated some of her royal obligations, such as the official Remembrance Day ceremony, to him, fueling speculation that she was preparing to bequeath her throne to her eldest son. Instead, she remained a consistent, stable presence at the head of Britain's reigning family. Elizabeth and Philip were married for 73 years until the prince died in April 2021 at the young age of 99. Queen Elizabeth passed away at Bal- uh, Balmoral <laughs> Castle Bal- Wall, Balmoral. Uh, in 2022. In the final years of her reign, she continued many of her official duties, public appearances, and spent plenty of time outside with her beloved dogs and apparently horses. <laughs> I thought I would be reading that yeah. one. That's why I put that in. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, two days before her death, she officially installed a new prime minister. Liz Truss, yeah, which yeah. is going to be, uh, albeit unfortunate due to the circumstances, a hilarious anecdote uh-huh. and trivia question years down the line. Who was the last prime minister of uh, Queen Elizabeth's life? Yeah. Officially, it'll be Liz Truss. If she could have held on a month longer, she would have had 32 prime ministers under her belt. Or but uh, four, or Wasn't it? I thought it was in the 30s. Oh, no, it was 30 corgis. No, yeah, same yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. 30 corgis, 13 prime ministers. Yeah, so it could have been a 14th prime minister under yeah, her belt, yeah. but um, but nevertheless, uh, she did pass away. Um, not included in here was the obvious uh, Canadian ties. Again, both positive, you know, I'm sure she did some stuff, um, and negative with a lot of the... Um, I don't think she said, like, outright, like, hey, you know what would be awesome? Residential schools. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of that stuff was, like, in her name. Um, her picture was plastered all over those things. Yeah. British white people colony, yada, yada, yada. Um, so it is, I think it is a complicated legacy. Um, I think there are some people who would like you to believe that it is a, a it all positive legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are some people who would like you to believe that it is all 100% entirely negative and she literally was Satan himself or herself, I guess. Yeah. Um, I do believe it lies somewhere in the middle. Um, I don't think she's as good as the people who think she was all good was. Um, and I, I don't even want to say she wasn't as bad because like the, the guy from Kenya said there, like, yeah. if, if I lived there, I probably wouldn't have an overly glowing view of the monarch either. Yeah. You know, so it's, it is an interesting legacy left behind for sure. Absolutely. I mean, the whole royal family, right? Like, yeah. what a, what an outdated thing that yeah. still is happening. Yeah. And, and, you know, 
no shit to them, but I I struggle to understand why. Mm-hmm. It is all. It does all seem very symbolic at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and like there's like, um, I think even our prime minister still has to be sworn in, and that's why we have like a governor general. Um, but it's like that's all performative too. Like absolutely, I, I can't imagine Prince Charles is gonna be like, ah, no, we're good. Like we literally just said she swore in, um, Liz Truss. So it's not like they were doing a whole lot of background. Or anything like that, you know? Yeah. So, like, we definitely could live without it. Um, it People get really into it. But at this point, it does all very much seem very performative. Totally. But anyways, rip Lizzie. Yep. Thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you all. Um, look at that. I mean, we, like, kind of nailed this one, I would say. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Um, so yes, remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you can. Like, tell your friends, share the pod, all that good shit. Uh, you know, it really goes a long way in helping us to, um, get more downloads and for our podcast to be viewed by others. It really does help. And thank you so much for listening and for, um, you know, not unsubscribing while we are taking our extended leaves. (laughs) We really appreciate it. And... You know, we might not know you, but, like, we low-key love you. Right? Is that weird? No, not at all. Um, if em- you want to... What? Don't go ahead. Oh, if you want to send us an email, we had no idea podcast at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on Instagram at we had no idea podcast. Yeah. Um, send us your... Recos. Yeah, recommendations. Like, we have a few. Like, we, we've kept a list this whole time. Um, that is true. And want to... Uh, but want to add to it. So let us know what you want to hear us talk about. And in uh, 9 to 15 months, we'll get to it. Hell yeah. (laughs) Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.